And God heard their groaning. And He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now... Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then join me in verse 13. I'll read verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to remember this morning? Would you help us to remember your name? Would you help us to hear that? Would you help us to understand that? Would you help us to come to this text that in many ways is strange to us? and sometimes confusing, would you help us to come to it with clarity, with understanding, with openness, with humility? Would you help us not only to understand, but to be changed? We know that as we come to your word, we come not to just information, we come to your power promised to us as your spirit works through your word. Help us to believe that, to listen with faith this morning, to hear and understand and be changed. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is a picture of my wife and me, and it was taken the summer after my senior year in college, and it is a significant picture to us 
Because that summer is the first time that we met. It was the first time we were introduced to each other. And that introduction changed our lives. So that picture is significant to us. And maybe you have memories like that of times when you met someone who made a significant difference in your life. And you remember that introduction and you remember it, remember how it has impacted you, how it has changed you. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, we have a picture. And it is the picture of an introduction. Even with all the mystery that does indeed surround this text and what happens here, at its essence, what happens in Exodus chapter 3 is God extends His hand and He says to Moses, Hi, my name is. This is a text of introduction. It's a picture of introduction. And this introduction changes everything. It changes everything for Moses, for God's people, for the world. Remember, chapters 1 and 3 have set the scene. And they have set a scene of conflict between life and death. And they have set the scene of God's commitment to recover the life lost by the family of Adam through the family of Abraham. And they have set a scene that shows the need for rescue for the family of Abraham. And that rescue has been hinted at in the life of Moses so far. So chapters 1 and 2 set the scene. In chapter 3, the action begins. The rescue begins. And it begins with a conversation. It begins with a dialogue. And I want to remind you that if you are in Jesus, this story is your story. You see, this conversation that Moses has with God, it's the catalyst, and it is the engine that drives the story of Exodus. It is the engine that drives this traveling narrative of God's people from slavery to freedom. And this story, if you are in Jesus, is your story. And if you do not belong to Jesus, it is the story into which Jesus invites you. Because we live in the midst of conflict. The conflict between God's beautiful design for us and the dehumanizing opposition to that design. The oppression and slavery of sin. We live in that conflict and God's desire is to lead us out of it into something better. But if we are going to walk that road, we need this conversation. We need the conversation of Exodus chapter 3. If we are going to know the freedom and flourishing that is promised In the book of Exodus, we must know God in the way that Moses gets to know God here. Now, how does that happen? How do we come to know God like this? 
Well, as we look at this text, we'll see that we can know God in the context of this conversation and the content of this conversation. So context and content. First of all, context. Before God says anything in this story, He still communicates. He communicates before He talks. So Moses, in the desert, with sheep, at a mountain. And God shows up. God appears. Verse 2 talks about the angel of the Lord, and this is no ordinary angel. This isn't Gabriel or Michael. This is how the Bible describes God choosing to make Himself visible and audible. So that verse 2 talks about the angel of the Lord, but the rest of the text just talks about God talking to Moses. So God appears here in the desert, and He appears as what? As fire. Now, that is not surprising. That is not shocking because throughout Scripture, when God chooses to make His unique presence visible, there is almost always fire and smoke. So Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And He shows up as a fire that passes through the divided animals. Later in the story of the Exodus, God will lead His people by a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. And at the end of the story of Exodus, He descends, His presence descends on the newly completed tabernacle as smoke. The prophet Elijah comes to this mountain that Moses is at and he encounters God's presence as fire. The prophet Ezekiel has a vision of the throne room of God, and guess what's there? Fire. The prophet Isaiah has a similar vision, and he has the vision of a smoke-filled room. In the New Testament, when God pours out His Spirit on the early church to send them out into all the world, how does He descend upon them? With tongues of fire. And the book of Hebrews takes all of this and wraps it together and says, God is a consuming fire. This is the consistent way that God chooses to show Himself. To reveal what He is like. And we need to think about that. Why? Why does God choose to visibly display himself as fire. I mean, certainly there is a power there. There's a mystery. There's a beauty. There's an attraction. But I think there's more. I, I think there is a more relational message to this imagery. Because think about what happens when something comes into contact with fire. One of two things happens. Right? It is either destroyed or it is transformed. So the imagery of fire brings up this question. When we come into contact with God, will we be destroyed? Or will we be transformed? 
how does God show up here in Exodus chapter 3? He shows up as a consuming fire, but that's not all, right? He shows up as a consuming fire, but in the midst of a bush that is not consumed. See what God is saying to Moses, to his people, to us? He is saying, I want you to know me in a way that I am with you and you are not consumed, but you are instead changed. I want to be with you so that you are changed, not consumed. And we see this play out with the movements of Moses in this text. He comes into the presence of God, right? But what does he do? He has to take off his shoes. It's just good manners in the ancient world. If you come into somebody's house, you leave your dirty shoes on the porch. God, Moses is coming into God's house because this is where God's presence is. And so he has to leave his dirty shoes on the porch. So Moses comes into God's presence, but what is the goal of this conversation? What is the goal of this encounter with God in his presence? It is so that Moses will be sent, right? He wants to send Moses on the mission of rescuing his people. He brings Moses into his presence so that he will be transformed from a shepherd of sheep to a shepherd of God's people. We will know God only when we come to Him humbled before the One who can consume us and open to His desire to change us. We will know Him only as we come humble before Him and open to His transforming work. And I want you to see the contrast here between the way we think of spirituality and especially the way those around us in our city think about spirituality. Heard a story recently of a dance performance where the dancer attaches a device to himself or herself. And that device amplifies the heartbeat of the dancer. And then the performer dances in response to that rhythm, the rhythm of his own heartbeat. Isn't that culturally telling? Isn't that what we want from spirituality? Isn't that what we want for God, from God? An amplified internal impulse. Someone has said, in the beginning, God made us in His image. And ever since, we've attempted to return the favor. Don't we come to Him longing for Him to be in our image? But if we do come to Him that way, we will never know Him. If we come to Him wanting Him to meet our demands, wanting Him to fulfill our desires then we won't know Him. We will only know a distorted version of ourselves. God is more like another trend in dance. He's more like house music. It's more like electronic dance music. Because what happens with EDM? A group of people move 
to a rhythm that is outside of themselves. They move to a rhythm that is bigger than them. That is what God is like. That is how we know Him. We will know Him only as humility moves us to an openness to His rhythm, to who He is, to what He wants. It is only then that we will know Him. But, there's still a problem because our impulse is in the opposite direction. Our impulse is not to openness and humility. Our impulse is, I want to be what I want to be. I want to create a God that looks like my preferences, that looks like my ideology, that looks like my desires. I don't want a God who can challenge my perspective. So how do we know God? How do we deal with that? Where do we learn that kind of humility and openness? Well, we learn to know God not only in the context of this conversation, but in the content of this conversation. So God here in Exodus 3 shows up as fire, as fire that can consume but doesn't consume. But God not only shows up visibly, He shows up audibly as well. He not only displays Himself as fire, He speaks. And as He speaks, He talks about Himself. He talks about His identity. And as he describes his identity, he he describes two aspects of his character. First of all, verses 13 to 15, he says, I am who I am. That's my name. I am who I am. And there's all sorts of debate about what exactly is going on with this title that God gives to himself. But this is clear. When God communicates with this name, is that he is like that fire that is self-fueling. Right? The fire in the burning bush doesn't use the wood of the bush to fuel it. It is self-fueling, and in the same way, God is self-defining. When he says, I am who I am, he is saying, I get to decide what I am like. God is who he wants to be, not who we want him to be. But right alongside that description of himself, I am who I am, there is something else that God says about himself. He says, I am who I am. But at the same time, he says, I am God of. Right? Throughout this text, he says, I am who I am, and I also am God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. I am God of the covenant. I am the God who has made promises to you. You see what he's doing? He is saying, I get to decide what I am like. And here's what I've decided. I am for you. I am with you. I will make promises to you and I will keep those 
promises. And that identity produces God's actions. Verses 7 and 8, which echo the end of chapter 2, what does God do? Because He is I am who I am, and because He is I am for you, I am with you, what does He do? He sees their affliction. He hears their cry. He knows them. He knows their suffering. Remember from chapter 1, a new Pharaoh shows up on the scene and he does not know the people of God, but God knows His people. And because He knows them, He now comes down to rescue them and to bring them into a good land. See what happens here? God makes the burning bush possible. He is committed to being with His people in a way that changes them but doesn't consume them. He is committed to being with them in a way that produces the flourishing of a good land rather than the death of slavery in Egypt. And He says to them, you can know Me Because I have known you. You can be with me like the bush is with the fire. You can be with me because I have chosen to be with you and I will move heaven and earth to make that possible. And that's what He does in Exodus. He moves heaven and earth to dwell with His people in a way that leads to their life instead of their death. And that message, it is for us because of Jesus. That message is for us because of Jesus and what He has done. You see, This conversation in Exodus chapter 3, it doesn't end in Exodus chapter 3. It ends in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, God extends His hand to us and says, Hi, my name is. Jesus is, I am who I am, and He is, I am with you. I am for you. I am for your life. Gospel of John. Chapter 8, religious leaders come to Jesus and they're challenging Him. They're pushing on Him. They are questioning His identity. And Jesus responds by saying, Before Abraham was, I am. I am who I am. I am self-defined. I choose what I am like. I am the expression of the character of God. But right alongside that statement throughout the Gospel of John, there are many other I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the living water. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. Jesus is I am, and He is I am for you. I am for your life. I am for your restoration and your renewal, your resurrection. 
In Jesus, God sees, He hears, He knows, and He comes down to rescue us. Jesus makes the burning bush possible. Because through Him, God's presence is given to us. His Holy Spirit is given to us in a way that does not consume, but changes. Causes us to grow, to flourish, to have true life as God intended it for us. In Jesus, God says, you can know me because I have known you. You can be with me because through my Son, through His life, His death, His resurrection, I have made it possible for me to be with you. And we will know God as we hear receive, believe, and live life out of that message. People often talk about a desire to be closer to God. They long to feel closer to God. And they'll often talk about it as, I want to have a burning bush experience. It is good to want to be near to God. But listen, Jesus is your burning bush experience. Jesus is your burning bush experience. The knowledge of God is not emotional ecstasy. It is the gospel gripping your mind and your heart. It is the gospel changing your life. That is the knowledge of God. That is what it means to know Him. It is to live by faith in what Christ has done for you. So the response to this text is not have an experience. It is hear a message over and over and over again. Hear God saying to you through His Son Jesus Christ, I know you. I have chosen to dwell in you with you and you will not be consumed you will in the end be changed there's a second picture of my wife and I and it was taken four years after the first picture it was taken the summer four years after the first picture and in this second picture I'm in a tux and she's in a white dress why? Because that first introduction through a long and circuitous route led to a wedding. It led to a marriage. And so this second picture is special to us as well. And that second picture reminds me of Exodus chapter 3. Because what's the goal of this introduction? God introducing Himself to Moses, to His people, and to us. The goal is a wedding. It's a marriage. Traditionally, and I know this has changed somewhat, but traditionally, what happens at a, at a wedding? The husband gives his name to the wife. Isn't that what God does for His people? 
he gives them his name. And he says, you are mine. I am with you. I am for you. And because of that, you will not be consumed. You will be changed. You will flourish because of what I have chosen to do. And in Jesus, he gives us his name. And he gives us more than his name. He gives us the resurrection and the life. Let's live in this conversation. Let's let this introduction not be a one-time meeting. Let's daily come to this conversation and hear who God is for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.